You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. So, you know, ministering on, and lots of ministers will tell you this, that ministering on Christmas and Easter are the two of the toughest times to minister because... Uh, people have an expectation often of you to deliver this message that they've never heard before, and it's just boom off the wall, or at least that's how ministers think. But the reality is, is that we live, and this is actually where, where I'm going to go today, is that we live on this side of the cross and have the ability to live in a resurrected life. So the resurrection was not about an event. It was about a lifestyle. Jesus didn't die so that we could have a day to celebrate and, rose and rise from the dead. He didn't, have, he didn't do that so we could have a day to celebrate what he did. He did that so we could have a lifestyle of resurrection in our life. You know, the resurrection is, uh, you know, the death and the resurrection, they're really two sides of one coin. Because you can't have resurrection unless you first have death. There's so much we could say about that. A lot of times we're looking for resurrection in our own life, but we haven't yet died. We haven't laid the thing on the altar to see the resurrection power in the area that we need to. Another message for another time. But you know, the, the story, not just the story, but the event of Jesus' death and resurrection is the most important event in the history of the world. There is not one event that's more important than what took place during that three-day period. And of course, the enemy has been out for a long time to try to silence uh, the reality, the fact that Jesus really did raise from the dead. And, you know, I love the, there's a book, and I didn't see the, read the book, but I watched the movie, the, the Case for Christ. Man, I encourage you to watch it or read the book. It's incredible. But, you know, one of the things I come to find out is that having a revelation about what Jesus did isn't something you can just capture with your mind and it bring power to you. It has to become a heart revelation. And I'm going to get into that here in just a minute. But, you know, this this event that took place, it is so profound that if I'm wrong, then I owe humanity. And I heard a, a man of God say it like this one time, and it really struck, struck a chord in me. If I'm wrong about the resurrection of Jesus, then I owe humanity the rest of my life to tell them about the lie. If we're right, if I'm right, and the Bible's right, about the resurrection, we owe humanity the rest of our life to tell them that it's true. Because it's either the biggest lie that's ever been perpetrated on the human race, or it is the most victorious, glorious, powerful event that has taken place. See, sometimes when we look at something that's been so long ago, it can feel like tradition that we talk about it and that we should talk about it, but it's more than a tradition. It's more than a story. It's the reality of what Jesus came to produce so that we could live the abundant life. Liz was talking about it. We could live the abundant life that he's called us to live here on this earth. It wasn't just for the life hereafter, but it was for the life here and now. We have the resurrection power dwelling on the inside of us. This is why when we were singing that song, House of Miracles, I just began to sing to the Lord, and I said, Lord, this is a house of miracles. Right here, 
right here. Why? Because the risen Savior, His Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, lives right here on the inside of me and on the inside of you. You are a miracle waiting to happen. The people around you are a miracle, and their situations are miracles waiting to happen, waiting to manifest, because heaven is living on the inside of you and is beckoning to get out. You live under an open heaven. We live under an open heaven, so we don't have to ask, the God, ask God to open the heavens. I remember singing a song years ago, and I, it was a good, I liked the tune of it, the sound of it, and it was like, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Seek the lost, heal the lame. Jesus, bring glory to your name. And all of a sudden, one day, I realized, I'm like, actually, he already rent the heavens and came down. And when he went back up, he didn't close the heavens up. We're living underneath of an open heaven. The more you align yourself with the Lord, his word, his truth, the more of heaven you will manifest in your life. The more of heaven you will walk in in your life. It is the reality of the believer that we're supposed to walk in because Jesus said to his disciples, when you pray, pray like this, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And unfortunately, I think that religion for years has just brainwashed people to just recite something. And, you know, the good thing about that is I think seed has been sown. Everybody knows that. You might know a different version or something, but everybody knows what we title as the Lord's Prayer. But if you're reading your Bible, it says the Lord's Prayer at the top. Jesus never called it the Lord's Prayer, but he told his disciples to pray it, which means it's actually the disciples' prayer. And it should be our prayer. And one translation or one, one of the, the renderings, the gospel renderings, he says, pray in this manner. So it's not about praying the words, but it's about praying with an understanding that we're living under an open heaven and that we have heaven now living on the inside of us. Because when we invited Jesus to come into our hearts and he dwells in our hearts by faith and the presence of God came to live on the inside of us, let me ask you a question. Did any of his attributes get left out? Of course not. He is who he is and the fullness of who he is is living on the inside of us. That means all of the blessing and the benefit and the favor that, is on, that was on Jesus that is in heaven is actually on the inside of us. What a revelation. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Let me show you something here real quick. Boy, I kind of dug myself into a hole with the mother-in-law joke, and now I've got to come back. <laughs> Hallelujah. I just think that we just need to be more lighthearted and don't take ourselves so serious. If, if I could go back to a younger Kent, you know what I would say? Don't take yourself so serious. Take the call of God serious, but don't take yourself so serious. Romans 10, and we're going to go to a couple of verses here that are very familiar to us. We know them very well. But I want to pull something out of here that I believe is, is for us today. And as you're turning there, I want to say this, that I ask the Lord for something. I don't always ask the Lord for things. When I pray, most of my prayer with the Lord is just telling God how much I love him and thanking him for how much he loves me. Because I find, I find it hard to ask the Lord for things because I've come to the realization that he basically has already given me everything through Christ. So most of my asking is, Lord, please help my eyes to be opened up. Open up my eyes. Help me to see what you've given me. Help me to understand your word. Help me to help my, uh, my thinking to come alive with revelation knowledge of what you say and who you are. That's how most of my prayer is. But I ask the Lord for something very, 
specific recently, and I begin to pray this. And I'm praying this over this house. For those of you that don't know, we, you know, we believe in, in miracles. And when I say miracles, you know, pretty much every denomination will say they believe in miracles, or every local assembly will say they believe in miracles. Like, I literally believe in all of the kinds of miracles that were in the Bible. And there is nothing hindering us from seeing the blind eyes open, the deaf ears open, the dead raised, all of that. All of that belongs to us because we carry, we carry the miracle worker on the inside of us. And so, but I, I found myself asking the Lord to do something. And for those of you, you, a lot of you probably wouldn't know this, but a few years ago, I'll say about four years ago, we, Liz and I, all we were doing is just seeking. And sometimes when you seek the Lord, you can ask God for things. And oftentimes what you get and how you get it is different than what you were asking for and how you were asking for it. Now, don't catch me wrong. If you're, if you're praying for healing and you get sick or something. That's not God going, well, I'm just going to bless you in another way. That's nonsense. It's garbage. It's religion. It's not of God. I'm not going to go down that road. But we were just praying and asking the Lord for, for the supernatural. We want the supernatural. If I don't have the supernatural in my life, then it's like I'm, I'm missing something because when I read the New Testament, I see that, that all of the apostles, when they went and ministered in the, in the New Testament church, that they ministered, they preached the gospel with signs, wonders, and miracles following. And you say, well, I don't see that today. Then we had better press in and begin to believe God for more. And it's not that he has to give more, but we need to manifest more of what he's already given. So one of a great prayer you can pray is, God, help me. Help me. Help me see right. Help me believe right. Help me step into the right place. And so we went through this season to where we were asking and believing God for the supernatural. And all of a sudden, we started having dreams. And I never would have thought about having dreams. But the Lord started giving us dreams. And then we had more dreams, and more people had dreams, and more people had dreams, and more people had dreams. And all of a sudden, it was like we had the whole congregation as a whole, not every person, but as a whole, we were having all of these supernatural dreams. And it wasn't anything that we possibly could have done. We couldn't, I, I don't have the ability to crawl inside people's minds every night while they're sleeping and give them dreams. Only God can do that. And so we had this collective thing that was happening in the church, and I begin to pray and ask the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm asking you that today that there is a new season on this resurrection day, the celebration of the resurrection, there is a new season of the supernatural that happens here in this church. And I have the ability to ask God something, and he will honor it. And I'm telling you this, he is, he is bringing us into a new season, a corporate season of the supernatural that we have not experienced before. I'm telling you, I'm putting this out there, and I'm saying be prepared and be ready. And sometimes we're looking for the spectacular and we miss the supernatural. The first dream I had, I took it to somebody and I said, is this of the Lord? And then it got expounded and it was like, wow, this is of the Lord. And then as soon as I acknowledged what God was doing, it unfolded a bunch more of what God wanted to do. Sometimes we just need to acknowledge the simple, small things that we see him doing. Why is God like that? I don't know, but that's just how he is. He takes great delight in us acknowledging the simple, small things that he does. And when we do that, it's almost like it rolls out the red carpet for him to do a bunch more. I don't know about you, but I'm interested in rolling out the red carpet for God to do significant things in my day through me for people. So in Romans 10, 9 and 10, we know this very well. And I want to bring out a great point in this. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. So for anybody that needs to get saved, if you're in here or you're watching online and you go, how do, I, how do I get saved? How do I get right with God? Here it is. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. So it's very simple. Faith is really a two-part uh, step. It's heart believing and it's mouth confession. In verse 10, it says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And I began to ask the Lord for some things concerning this passage. And sometimes we can hear something for so many years, and we hear it in so many ways that uh, we can just become attuned to other people's interpretation and understanding of it, that we need God to breathe some freshness. And so I began to ask the Lord to do this because I felt impressed to. And, you know, when it comes to the idea of, you know, it says that if you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord um, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so what's interesting is you go down to the next verse, it says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The reason, the reason the mouth is made unto salvation is because you're speaking that he is Lord and you're coming to alignment with the fact that he is the only one that can save you. If someone were just to believe that Jesus is who he is, but they were never to open up their mouth and speak and declare that he is the risen Savior and that he is Lord, and I want him to be Lord, if, if people don't acknowledge that, then they're missing something that's essential for salvation. But see, a lot of what we're supposed to get is uh, after salvation, we don't get because we miss out on the process and we miss out on what was actually given to us. Because if you take these two verses and also look at the heart, it says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you would think the next part would say, for with the heart one believes under resurrection, but it doesn't. It says, for with the heart one believes under righteousness. Why? Because the righteousness that you have in Christ Jesus is not a series of events to become holy, but it's a position that he's given you based on the resurrection power in Christ Jesus. For we were buried with him in baptism, and we have been raised again with him in the newness of life. The picture of water baptism is the reality of what spirit, true spiritual baptism looks like. And when Jesus went down in the grave, he rose again with a new life, if you will, because he had a new transformed body. And so when we get water baptized, hear me in this, when we get water baptized and we go down into the water, it is a reflection, it is a picture of the real baptism that took place, which was inside of us. And the old man went down into the, to the baptism of water. It went down, and when it was risen, it was risen in a brand new life made in the likeness and the image of God, created, according to Ephesians 4 and 24, created truly righteous and holy. Righteousness is not about a, a collection of things that you do to become right with God. Righteousness is about a position that you have because of what he's given you. So when you're living from a place of the position you have in Christ, you're living in the resurrected power. You're, you're living in the resurrected life. And so then we need to begin to walk around and just say, what would a resurrected person do? How would somebody who was once dead and is now alive, how would they live? I've just come to the conclusion, and I'm including myself in this, we do not realize how dead we were, but how alive we have become. 
Because if we did, it would change how we think, how we talk, how we believe, what we pursue, how we treat people. It would change every single thing in our life, and it would, it would change the way that we believe God for the supernatural. You know what's interesting is that the most impossible thing was the thing that we had to believe in order to get saved. Get, hey, getting saved is easy. You just put faith and trust in Jesus. But you actually have to believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. And you say, well, if I was there, it would, it would be easier. Not so. So many of the people, some of his closest ones that were there with him, witnessed him in his resurrection form and didn't even know him. And even the ones who acknowledged that it was him, as he was ascending back up into heaven, it says that some of them were still doubting. Some were still doubting. So here we are, 2,000 years plus removed from that scenario, from that time, and we're told that if we're going to be saved, we have to believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. We have to believe that the most impossible thing is possible through God. This says a lot about what God thinks about what he's called us into. He hasn't called us into a doctrine. He hasn't just called us into a faith, but he's called us into a lifestyle of believing and living in resurrection. The foundation for our relationship with God, the foundation for salvation is based on our belief, our confession that he is Lord, but our belief that God raised him from the dead. You, you know, when something's dead, it's, it's dead. Any good hunter would know this. Dead. <laughs> Got her. You know, I have, I have one child who's a, who's a hunter, and uh, they always like to believe that things are dead, even sometimes they're not because they missed a shot. You know, those, those kind of things. We just had one of those happen the other day. But anyways... But when something is dead, it has no life in it, and it has no capacity to operate and function on any level. Does everybody understand what it means to be dead? And he's saying that you have to believe that Jesus was raised from the impossibility and raised into the possibility because God was involved. The whole basis for salvation has nothing to do with our ability, but everything to do with his ability. So the foundation of our faith is precedent for us to pursue the impossible in every situation. If you didn't have resurrection power on the inside of you, and you have to believe that because the word says in Romans chapter 8 and verse, I think it's 11, it says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that raised Christ from the dead, lives on the inside of you and will quicken your mortal body. As a matter of fact, let's pull that verse up here real quick. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. Let me show you something here. Romans 8 and 11. Y'all getting something out of this? Am I making you think a little deeper? That was my goal. It says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Hallelujah. Through his spirit who dwells in you. Just leave that verse up there for a moment. This verse, I'm big on reading and understanding things in context because I think people pull things out of context and they misunderstand what the scripture is actually saying. 
and can come up with all kinds of things. In context, I believe this is talking about the resurrection of the dead that will happen one day. And the reality is, is that when your physical body goes into the grave or whatever happens, you know, a lot of people, they're like, I do not want to be cremated because I want to be resurrected. Listen, there's been people that have been buried for so many years that their bodies are dead now, but they will still be raised up is what the word tells us. So you do whatever is right for you. But the issue is, is that God, it's not an issue for God. He can cause anything that doesn't have the potential to become something. God can make it become, become something because that's what a raising from the dead God does. So I believe this is talking about there's going to come a time when our bodies will be raised up and they will be transformed and the spirit of God which lives on the inside of us now, the Spirit of God will quicken our bodies and will bring life back to our bodies, and we will have a new glorified body. I believe that. The Bible backs that up in many different places. But what's interesting here, it says that currently, it's speaking in current terms, it says, he who raised, or the first part it says, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and it is true that he dwells in us, forget the rest of it for a second, He's saying if he does, and he does, he dwells in us now. If the raising from the dead power was only for the resurrection from the dead one day when Jesus returns, then why is the Spirit of God, the resurrection Spirit of God, living on the inside of us right now? I give you that question. Why is he in you right now with raising from the dead power? I'll tell you why. It's because the life that you're called to is not to live on the sidelines. It's not to just squeak into heaven. You are called to victory. You are called to overcome. You are called to release the life of Christ into every situation that appears to be dead. The whole dry bones coming to life thing, that verse belongs to you, Ezekiel 37. You have the ability to speak the word of God, to bring the word into any situation because of the spirit of God on the inside of you. It doesn't matter how dead your marriage is. It doesn't matter how far gone your kids are. It doesn't matter how far that you, the, the cancer has spread. It doesn't matter how bad your physical heart is in. Nothing is too far gone for God to be able to touch. And he's given it to you at your disposal. And there just needs to be some more preaching on this. Just boom, we've got it. It's ours. It belongs to us. Let's step into it. Hallelujah. So the found, and let me read this again. The foundation, the foundation of our faith is precedent for us to pursue the impossible in every situation. What's the foundation of our faith? That God raised Jesus from the dead. See, this, this, will get, this will get on the inside of you, and you will have, when, you, when this possesses you, people say, you're possessed? Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm possessed with a revelation that's flipped my world right side up. It will mess with you. You'll have to work to not offend people. I don't do a very good job of it, especially when you start off with, like, jokes about your mother-in-law and stuff. It's, <laughs> that's a different story. That's me needing better good... Uh, better good. That's me needing better good. That's me needing better bedside manner. That's what that's what that is. Amen. <laughs> you know, God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He'll take somebody that has an absolute fear of ministering in front of pe people and put an anointing on them to preach the word. <laughs> what can't you do? Give it to God, and you'll end up doing it. I'm going to read this one more time. The foundation of our faith, 
that God raised Jesus from the dead is precedent for us to pursue the impossible in every situation. We're not supposed to go lower after salvation. We're supposed to go higher. Our salvation is, is the starting point of our relationship with the Lord. And it's not about we get saved and we coast till we die. If you believe that, somebody's lied to you. The devil's lied to you. Religion has lied to you. You're not supposed to get saved. And that, well, you are supposed to get saved. But once you get saved, you're not supposed to coast until you die. You're not just supposed to live a, a, you know, a, a weak and beggarly life, hoping to squeak by and get into heaven by the sweet by and by. No, you're supposed to live in victory. Jesus has come. The thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, but I have come that you might have a life and have it in abundance. Where? When you get to heaven? No. There too. But here. Why? Because the raising from the dead power lives on the inside of you. Lots of things need to be raised from the dead. Dreams, visions, ideas, businesses. Some things do need to die. I've gone through situations where the Lord was like, that season's over, and we don't need to do that anymore. But if God's put things in your heart, he's put things in your life, and you've laid it down, let the life of Christ encourage you and strengthen you today that he's going to bring you in and give you what it is that he's called you to have. Hallelujah. So righteousness is the reality of our position. I couldn't possibly say this enough. In, in ministering and in, in pastoring and leading people, I, all the time I'm, I'm dealing with people that uh, just love God, but are stuck in a framework of feeling like they have to do to be. But the deal is, is that Jesus did so that we could be. You can't do enough to be with the Lord. You can't do enough to be right with the Lord. It can only come through the work that Jesus did on the cross and you putting faith in it. But here's the deal. Once it's done, it's done. You know, there's a, um, uh, I, I've heard this before. I believe it to be true that in uh, certain Jewish cultures, and maybe it was back in the Bible days, but there's a way that they could fold the napkin after a meal. And they could fold it in a way to say, I'm not going to eat this food anymore because it was gross. I've heard this before, and I, I believe it to be true. And like, I'm done. This is the last time I'm eating this meal. You know, it's interesting, and there's a lot that could be said about this, but when Jesus rose from the dead, there was a separation of the garments, and the garment that was around his, his head was folded, and it was laid there. He didn't just throw it off. It was folded in a particular way. And part of the reasoning why is because he said, I have tasted death, and I will not be eating this meal any longer. Jesus tasted death so that we didn't have to. His life of dying and resurrecting wasn't just to be a good example for us to know how to live our life. And I believe in, in ultimately just laying ourselves on the altar so that we can experience the resurrection power he has. Because if you don't lay it down, God can't do anything with it. So I believe that. But he didn't do that just to be a good example for us. He did it because he had to do something that we could not do. It was impossible for us to do the things that needed to be done in our life. We had to have God do it. Hallelujah. So Jesus didn't just die and resurrect, and I said this already, but I want to say it again, to create an event. He resurrected to create a lifestyle. This is a lifestyle that we're supposed to enter into. Of Resurrection should go through our thinking. It should go through our belief system. It should go through our family. It should go through our household. 
I went through a time, Liz and I did several years ago, where we were really struggling financially. We were in, uh, we had death financially, to say the least. And now look at me today. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm stepping up my game. You know what? I see, you know what? I'm kind of kidding, but I see myself differently than I used to. I'm not against wearing lesser clothes or whatever, but it's not about the clothes, but I see myself different than how I used to, and it's increasing. We were going through this time to where our finances were shot, man. We were in trouble. We had uh, more debt than we knew how to get rid of. We had just a lot of problems with this house and renters and all of this stuff. And you know what I did? I went and I took probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 verses and put it up in the house. And I put these verses all over in front of the mirrors, put it on the, the TV. I put it in our bedroom. I put it over doorways. And when I would pass through it, I would say, that's, that's exactly right. I'm the, I'm the blessed of the Lord. I'm above and not beneath the head, not the tail, all these things. And I begin to proclaim that. You know what I did? I brought resurrection life to the area of finances in my own personal life. And the thing that was dead, that probably a financial person would have looked at and said, you just need to file bankruptcy or do something like that. They probably would have. I didn't go and ask anybody because I didn't want to hear what they had to say. Sometimes when you know something needs God's touch and you know God can do it, then you need to not go tell everybody else what's going on and just begin to trust God. You see, when we, every promise of God is yes and in him, amen. Amen is something that you say out of your mouth, which means so be it unto me. And what you and I have to be able to do is realize what we have on the inside of us, look at the dead situation and say, that's no problem for God. No problem for God. All of his promises are yes, because why? Because he said yes to them. Whatever it is that you need, God already said yes before you asked him. He already knows your need before you ask him. He already, his answer is already yes. You know where the other part needs to come in? Is we need to say amen, and we need to continue to confirm and affirm amen in our hearts over and over and over and over. Why? To convince God? No, to convince us. This is why he's told Joshua, he said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, for then you will make your way prosperous, for then you will have good success, for then you will do everything according to what is written in it. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, meaning that you are speaking it so much that it's never not in your mouth. You're always speaking the word of the Lord. You know what we need to do? We need to take, because how, how do you get resurrection power into your situation? Most of the time we're told like, you know, Lord, God, you know my situation. And Lord, you, you know what I need. And God, this is a bad situation. So Lord, if it be thy will. Why would you pray, Lord, if it be thy will, if he's, if he's already told you what his will is? And you say, well, I don't know what his will is. Well, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, because that's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17. It says, not being unwise, but understanding the will of the Lord. Why would you want to know the will of the Lord so you can enforce it? You know what you are? You, you and I, we're like, we're like spiritual police officers. We're like deputies. And it's not to go around policing everybody else. That's not what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, yeah, I told them so. <laughs> it's not about you controlling other people or anything like that. But we have, get this, we have laws that God has given us. And I'm not talking about legalism, but I'm talking about laws that govern how faith works 
that you can go into a situation and you put on your uniform, you put your badge on, and you can go and stand in the middle of traffic. You can be way smaller and less significant than all of the giant buses and cars and whatever coming by you, and you can direct those things where to go. Why? Because you're so powerful? Nope, but you represent somebody who is powerful. So what you do is you enforce the authority that's been given to you. You know what authority is? It's, uh, it's delegation. It's delegated power. God has given you the right to use his name to get things done that need to be done. You know why? Now, hopefully no one's thought this before, but you know why if you were going through an intersection and maybe there was an accident or there was... Uh, you know, the lights were out or something, and there was a policeman out there directing traffic. You know why? You've probably never really thought about this, but you know why you would never think, you know, I'm just going to plow them over. I mean, you'd be demon-possessed if you were thinking that, but I'm just saying. Or let's go lesser than that. Let's say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just not going to obey them at all. I'm just going to go and do the other way. You know why? You may have not really thought through this, but the deal is, is that if you disobey that person, you got to deal with what they represent. You mess with the deputy, you're going to have to mess with the sheriff. You mess with the sheriff, you're going to have to mess with the laws that are there. And if you mess with the laws that are there, you're going to have to stand before a judge, and the judge will give you a sentence, and you don't want that. So when you step up to the, place, to the plate and you say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I have authority because of my position in Christ, and I have every right and even the responsibility and certainly the precedent in this situation because Christ did the greatest thing by being raised from the dead. Anything else that I would ever face is lesser than Christ being raised from the dead. I have the authority. God wants me to have it. He wants me to have victory. Now, change in Jesus' name. Are they so scared of you? No, they're scared of the God that you represent. The enemy is scared of the God that you represent. You and I are, are nothing, but with Jesus, we are everything. This is why when, when it talks about the, the, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the armor of God. And righteousness is called the breastplate of righteousness. If you ever wonder what the breastplate of righteousness, why it's the righteousness is called the breastplate, it's because back in that day, the, the Roman army and really a lot of the, the armies and stuff, they would have the insignia of what they represented right there on their chest. We've seen this in the movies, and it's true. They would have written right on there or a picture or something that depicted who they belonged to and what they represented. People didn't fear the Roman soldier, one Roman soldier, because of the one Roman soldier. They feared the Roman army and the empire, and that's why they would obey the Roman soldier in whatever given situation is going on. The enemy fears you. He fears a people that are confident sons and daughters who have come into an understanding of the royal identity that they have in Christ. You are royalty. <laughs> you are royalty. You should never live beneath a circumstance. Whenever someone says, I say, how are you doing? They say, well, under the circumstance. I say, what in the world are you doing under there? You've been blood-bought. You've been set free. You've been liberated. You've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are set and seated next to him in heavenly places, next to the throne of God, seated with Jesus. You are a joint heir, which means all of the benefits and blessings that Jesus got, you got the exact same thing. 
Jesus didn't get like 95% and then the other 5% was spread out to all of the Christians in the whole world. No, Jesus got 100% and you got 100%. Literally the only difference in terms of authority between us and Jesus is deity. You and I will never be an object to be worshiped. But as far as all the blessings, the benefits, the DNA, the authority, the power, all of it, we have all the same stuff that Jesus, that Jesus had when he was here on this earth. Jesus overcame the curse so that we didn't have to. We now live in the reality of the blessing. Let's look here at Galatians, and I'm going to finish with this. Galatians chapter 3, 13 and 14. Y'all getting something good out of this? Man, I'm getting something good out of this. Hallelujah. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham, what was the blessing of Abraham? It was righteousness by faith. Right? Abraham was 430 years before the law. And Abraham, it was accounted unto him for being righteous. Why? Because he lived holy? No, because he believed God. But the deal is, is that from the time of the law all the way until the time of Jesus, there was a constant reminder of sins because there was constant sacrifices. Sacrifices. I couldn't get all out in one breath. <laughs> Come on. You got to laugh. with. If I'm laughing at myself, you have to laugh with me. It's a rule. No. There was a constant reminder of sins. You got to have fun. I refuse to be stiff, all right? It was a constant reminder of sins because there were sacrifices made repeatedly year after year and even day after day in the temple, always reminding us of how we weren't good enough. But Jesus came. He was a one sacrifice for all time and for all people, eliminating every sacrifice that would ever need to be made after that in terms of our right standing with God. Now it goes back to a place of where Abraham found it, except now we have a better covenant made on better promises. We have more power, more authority, and instead of it just being accounted to us, we're actually made right with God. Abraham wasn't made right, it was just accounted unto him as being right, which means that he was given something that really wasn't paid for, but when Jesus came and paid for it, then it was given to him, and everybody after Abraham also can receive the righteousness that comes through faith. Hallelujah. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Notice that it doesn't say blessings. Y'all read that? You see it pluralized there or is it singular? Singular. It says that the blessing of Abraham. Why is that so significant? Because people are always looking for blessings not realizing they have the, the blessing. The blessing will manifest any blessing beyond that or blessings beyond that that you need in your life. You could take every single thing away from me. Well, you actually, you can't. But if you could, I forget it. I'm not going to be funny anymore because it's not working. Started off bad, I ended bad, whatever. You'd think after 10 years, I would realize that I'm just not funny. But when I try not to be funny, they're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And I'm like, what? I didn't get it. Anyways, I, j I only do this just to keep people loose. Church is so stiff sometimes. And even, you know what? I, I'm rebuking you all. Saturday nights, if we have a special, everyone's like, woo, yeah, woo, woo, woo. And Sunday morning, people come in and they're like, it, 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 it's Sunday. And it's like, 
What, same people, but we just are, people are funny. You guys are funny. You guys are funny. I'm going to laugh at you. <laughs> the blessing, the blessing that has been given to you is enough to turn any curse in your life around. You know the difference between principal and principal? Let me give you a little English lesson here. I like this. Makes me look smarter than what I am. Principal, P-A-L, is the governing factor that makes the principles the P-L-E. In a school, we call the leader of that school a principal, P-A-L. Why? Because they make the principles. They make the rules in the school. The blessing is the principal, and it governs all of the other things that happens in your life. If you know what you have because of who you are, then literally nothing would defeat you. And as I was going to say before I interrupted myself, you could take everything away from me, and I would get it all back. Why? Because I prayed and asked God for blessings? No, because I realized that through faith in him, I am already blessed. The blessing has already been given to me. Why? Because I'm so holy? No, because Jesus is holy, and I put faith in Jesus' holiness, and now I am in right standing with God, positioned to where I can boldly come in. You, you know what it means to come in bold? I mean, you just break the doors open, and you, I mean, I don't want you to break them or whatever, but you can just bust right through and say, here I am. I'm here, and you have every right to do it, not in a disrespectful way, but you have every right to go boldly into the throne of grace, to receive grace and mercy in your time of need, and to enforce, not to God, but to the devil, and to any situation, any sickness, any problem, you can enforce the blessing in that area, and it absolutely will change and manifest in your life. Why? Because you have the resurrection power on the inside of you. I'm going to finish with these last few things here, and then I'm, I'm closing right here. So it says, this is what the, the Lord gave me, and I wrote this. It says, we are possessed to bless. We're possessed with resurrection power. So we are possessed to bless, and we have that power to bless, and this, to bless, and this is for your own self, for your family, for other people, whoever. We can bless the lost with salvation. We can bless minds for revelation. We can bless bank accounts with wealth. You know how Liz and I got out of debt and began to increase financially? We began to speak the word of God over our bank accounts. Literally, I was running a business then and we wouldn't have any work and I would say, work coming in Jesus' name. Work cometh. Actually, I, I should have just said money cometh because I really didn't want work. I just wanted the money, you know? <laughs> but that's how it comes. Don't even want to get lazy on me, right? You got you to gotta work. And you know what happened? All of a sudden, supernaturally, time and time and time and time and time again, we would see things just change and shift and money come in and breakthrough happen. Why? Because we took the word of the Lord and we took our authority and we enforced the blessing that we have. Why? Because we live in a resurrected lifestyle. If Jesus has already been raised from the dead, nothing else is too difficult for God. You know why Jesus being raised from the dead was the greatest miracle in the history of the world? It's because the enemy is spiritually st stupid. I'm going to say it. Stupid. Say the S word. He is spiritually stupid. But by that time, I guarantee you, he probably realized that if Jesus rose from the dead, all of his plans were over. 
Because see, the, all the prophecies talked about Jesus going into the grave and, you know, dying and then ra- raising again three days later. You would have thought the enemy would have fought. This is why he's spiritually stupid. He would have fought to keep G- Jesus from dying. But instead, he did everything he did, could to kill him. Why? Because he's spiritually stupid. But you could imagine, he probably thought, if he raises from the dead, this thing is over. It is over. You can bet that every demon in hell, Satan himself, everything that the enemy had to come against Jesus and keep him from being raised from the dead, the enemy threw all of it at him. It wasn't enough. And you and I possess that power. So we have power to bless bodies with healing, um, people that are loveless to give them love. We have the power to bless people with hope, to bless the hopeless with hope. Deliverance to people who are bound, joy for the depressed, peace for the anxious, revival to the dead, truth for the hungry, and wholeness for every broken situation that there is. Because we serve a resurrected Savior and we live in a resurrected lifestyle. Jesus did not come to create an event. He came to create a lifestyle for us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand to your feet? God. We love you. We're so thankful for you, God. Thankful for what you've given us. I thank you that there's a swelling happening on the inside of us. And it's the yoke. It's the anointing. God, it's what breaks breaks off the bondages. It's it's what breaks us out of the, the mundane to where we can enjoy everyday life because you've come to give us an abundant life that we can enjoy it. God, depression does not have to be, is not supposed to be our call in our life. Anxiety and fear doesn't belong to us. Broken bodies are not for us because Jesus took stripes on on his back so that by his stripes we would be made whole. We would be healed. And Father, I I break and I silence every past religious thought that would say that God doesn't want me to have it. I thank you that all of that is broken in Jesus' name. All of it's broken in Jesus' name. Father, we're stepping into the new. We're stepping into the truth. God, it's not new to you, but it might be new to us. But if it's true, it's true. And if, even if our minds are offended, God, I thank you that you're reaching our hearts. You're reaching our hearts with truth and the revelation of who you are and what you've done for us. And God, we are a victorious people. We will live in victory. We will shout victory from the rooftops. And it's not victory that has to do with our great believing, but it's, it was really all about your faith and your faithfulness and what you did, God. That's what causes us to be in victory. And even when weak, God, in our weakness, you are made strong. And when, where we failed, God, you came in and rescued us. And where we messed up, God, your word says that you delivered them out of their distresses and out of their troubles. Let me tell you something, saints. It does not matter how bad your situation is right now. And I'm not saying God doesn't care, but what I'm saying, it doesn't matter in the scope of him being able to fix it. God can fix anything because God's not holding it over your head. Stop holding it over your head because God's not holding it over your head. My God, that's a word for somebody. Stop holding it over your head because God's not holding it over your head. Thank you, Jesus. God, you're awesome. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. 
If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.